the Lord is my portion. I promise to keep your words. I entreat your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. When I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. I hasten and do not delay to keep your commandments. Though the cords of the wicked ensnare me, I do not forget your law. At midnight, I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. I'm a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. The earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. Those are verses 57 to 64 of Psalm 119, verses 49 to 72 of which are the psalm appointed for today, Wednesday, December the 15th, 2021. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. We're continuing our theme of judgment um, in Zechariah 3, 1 to 10, Revelation 4, 1 to 8, and Matthew 24, 45 to 51. So we're being warned that it's real, that there is an end of all things, and that the ending is completely orchestrated and um, at, at God's whim. So it's not something that we can uh, prepare for in the sense of uh, preparing an argument against him. <laughs> no, it's something where we take an attitude towards God and towards his word and his law in exactly the same way David did when he wrote Psalm 119. I mean, I can read that that psalm, that whole thing, and, and want to, to have that attitude towards God's law, but I don't always have it. I don't always believe that those are the best things for me. And the proof of that is, well, I don't do them <laughs> always. And so it is, though, a call to love God's Word and God's law as a way of loving God. Because what it shows is that I truly believe with all my heart that he knows what's absolutely best for me, that he is the best loving Father I could ever imagine. And my proof of that would be to accept my lot in life and to, to live according to the way that he says that I should live. It doesn't mean I'm going to live a pain-free life, but he, but he does say it's the best way to live. And, and if I can take delight in him, then I can delight in his word and his law as well. We, we've got to come to a place where we do feel that way about him. And the only way that, that God could imagine that we could come to that point as a general rule is two things. It was right. It was to send his son to die on the cross for our sins and to raise him up again on the third day so that we would know that if we believe in him, we will have life in his name. And then to give us his Holy Spirit to live in us, to cause us to desire the things that he desires. And so that's exactly what you see. And you see a, a, a picture of that in a microcosm in this Zechariah passage. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the way that the Jews understand this is, is that's his job. It is Satan's job to accuse us, to say, you know, he failed here, 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 and here. Satan is the ultimate legalist. And he wants you to be just like him. Right, Because what he wants to say is, you're not perfect. Well, it, and, and that's God's only standard, is perfect. It's not close enough and good enough. No, it's, it's, it's failings that matter. And that Satan's whole point is to say, look at him. He's a mess. He's a disaster. She's awful. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this, a Joshua, a brand plucked from the fire? So he's coming out of Babylon, 
and was chosen to lead the people as the high priest. He was standing before the angel, but he was clothed with filthy garments. Now, Jesus talks at one point, he tells a parable of of, uh, a king who gives a wedding feast and the people who are invited won't come. The guests, invited guests won't come. So then he compels his servants to bring others in. And one comes in and that one has refused to put on the wedding garment, and so he's cast out. Here, what we see is Joshua, the high priest, who has been a brand plucked from the fire, as it were, and he is in filthy garments. He hasn't continued to keep himself undefiled. And we know that this has been a problem at different times in uh, the land when the Word of God would be recovered and the priests were not prepared to celebrate Passover, and so it had to be delayed until they could prepare themselves. And so here, what we get is this same picture, Joshua clothed with filthy garments. He's not prepared to be God's priest over his people. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And to him, he said, behold, I've taken your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed them with garments, and the angel of the Lord was standing by. So God changed that whole thing by just wiping out the iniquity and say, no, it doesn't look like that to me. And he's clothed them in clean garments in the same way the father of the prodigal son did when his son came back to him, and he said, bring him robe, ring, and sandals. You see what you want to see. You see one who has rebelled against me and who has done this. What I see is my beloved son. So let's make him look like the beloved son. And here, that's exactly what God does. And the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, thus says the Lord of hosts, if you walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. In other words, if you do all the stuff that I said to do, then you can come and go from this throne as you please. I give you right of access. Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are assigned. Behold, I will bring my servant the branch. And that's Jesus. The, the priesthood is a sign. And what he means by that is, is that there's a better priesthood. You represent me. You're a sign that points to me, not to yourself. And that's the point of a sign, is to point beyond itself to another reality. And so what he's saying is that you, Joshua, and the, your brothers, the priests, are a sign. And they point to the true high priest, and here he refers to him as my servant, the branch. For behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes, I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. I'll do to the land exactly as I have done to you. And Zechariah unusually describes God regularly here as the Lord of hosts. I meant to say something about this yesterday, but I I forgot about it. But but it's a a unique kind of a a way of speaking about God. It means that, that he is the God of the angel armies is the way to say that. Um, that's, a, that's a good way to translate it, is God of the angel armies. And it's exactly the same way in which Hannah, the mother of Samuel, addressed the Lord is as the Lord of hosts. It's the recognition that he is above all earthly and heavenly powers. And so because she addressed him that way, and she was the first person that we see in Scripture to address him in that way, 
then what we get is that the Jewish people came to believe that 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 so delighted God that she referred to him in that way that he was willing to grant whatever request she might have. Now, I, I don't believe God changed his mind about what he intended to do. But I, but I will say that we need to be better at praise. We need to be better at lifting God up. We need, we need to see him in all his glory, not just the imminent part of God, the part is God with us, but also his, his transcendent glory that recognizes him for who he is, is the creator of all things and the ruler of all things. So and then it ends up with, in that day, the day that, that the iniquity of the land is removed, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. In other words, you'll have peace. You'll have rest among yourselves. You will truly be the, the people of God, and you'll see yourselves as one people. In the gospel, Jesus, remember, has been talking about the signs that would, would accompany the destruction of the temple and the coming of the Lord. And he says, Who then is the faithful and wise servant, whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? So the person who is the steward over the household, the one that oversees the distribution of food and all that kind of stuff, blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes, doing the job that he's been given to do. So stay at the work you've been given to do. I remember a, fr- a close friend of mine, he, he was a mentor, he's been dead now for maybe, a, I don't know, 10 or 12 years, it's been a long time. As I sit here, I have a, a crucifix, actually, that hangs on my wall that when he died, his kids gave to me, and they said, you know, we saw this and we couldn't think of who, who dad would want this to go to, and we, we thought, well, it would be John. And so they gave it to me, you know, and so they, they prefaced this giving of this thing to me by telling me that story that they, they really knew that it should have gone to me. And it, and it was this, like, it's a very large crucifix thing, probably 18 inches tall. And, and it was sort of, you didn't want to throw it away. <laughs> you saw this thing and thought, what the heck? And you decided you couldn't throw it away. So so who's who's the guy that we know, like, who is a professional Christian who would appreciate this. And so they gave it to me. And it means a lot to me, not because of uh, that it's a crucifix, but it's because that story and because it came from a man that I dearly loved. But he, I can remember him talking about another person that we knew quite well. And he said his problem is is that, that God has made him a plowman, but he's not satisfied and content to be a plowman. He won't stay at the work of plowing because he'd like to be something more than that. And and it, it's the this is exactly what this passage is saying is blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing doing the work that he specifically was given to do when he comes truly i say to you he will set him over all his possessions so if you want a raise if you want a promotion just do the stuff you've been given to do today. However humble that work might be, just do that. And if you do that work really well, then, then you'll get a promotion. But the problem is, is that we're so eager for the promotion that sometimes we don't actually spend enough time doing the work we've been given to do. We won't focus on that work because we want something else. I know another guy who, who has gone from denomination to denomination, and it's because he wants to be a bishop, but he won't do the work of being a priest. And it's the way that we're called to be. Whatever your call is in life, do the work that you've been given to do. Shepherd your family well. Shepherd yourself well. Do those things. 
and then God will bring you up and raise you up. And he said, but if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he doesn't expect him and an hour he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. And in that place, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do do I need to explain any of that? (laughs) Because it's pretty straightforward, right? Do the work you've been given to do, and everything's going to be perfectly fine. But if you forget the reality of the coming of the Master, the coming in judgment, then it might not go so well for you. Just do the work you've been given to do. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. How about that? Just do that and see how that works out for you, as opposed to doing what he does here. So in the... uh, Revelation passage today, we're in Revelation 4, verses 1 to 8, and so he's finished with the judgment on the churches, the judgment that was announced in the letters to the seven churches. And after this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. Remember in the letter to the church at Philadelphia, he promised that he would open a door that no one could shut. And so here we see that same idea of this open door standing open in heaven, And Paul talks about being taken up to the third heaven, and Jews certainly see that there are seven heavens, and it's an ascending, sort of a hierarchical thing, in some ways similar to Dante's Inferno, which is the opposite. It's a descending into the the depths of hell, and and, and Paul and much of Judaism sees sees the seven levels of heaven as an ascending order that leads all the way up to the top, which would be where the throne of God is. And so here, what John sees is a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. And at once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. And so we know that he's called up to a throne, but we don't know exactly whose throne it is. But then John begins to describe what he sees, this appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, and around the throne a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. And if you look at Revel- uh, not Revel- sorry, Exodus 19, you'll see that throne. You'll see it again in, in Exodus 24. You'll see the description of the throne where God sat on the mountain when the elders went up and ate with him, and it looks exactly like this. So that tells us who this one is, because we know what his throne looks like. And around the throne there were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. So does that mean that they came through this world flawlessly? Or does it mean that they, like the high priest Joshua, were clothed in these white garments and golden crowns placed on their heads? And we know that that they are aware (laughs) that those crowns don't rightfully belong to them. And we know that because later we see them casting down their crowns around the throne of the only one who is worthy to receive glory and blessing and praise and honor. And so we've got these 24 elders, and what we see and what we believe as the church is is that those 24 are the original 12 tribes and the leaders of those 12 tribes, along with the disciples. So 12 and 12. 
<clears throat> and it says that or from the throne claimed flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And all that sounds very much like the scene at the mountain at Oreb when the law was given in Exodus 20. So in Exodus 19 and 20, we see this same vision. And so there's no question about whose throne this is. <clears throat> and before the throne, so from the throne come flashings of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne, in other words, out in front of it, was a sea of glass like crystal. And again, you see that same thing in Exodus 24 on the mountain. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. They're seeing everything. The first living creature like a lion, the second like an ox, the third with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And that is our praise. That, that is who he is. He is holy. He is thrice holy God. In other words, that that would be piling holy upon holy upon holy. In other words, it's an unimaginable holiness is the Lord God of Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come the one who has been forever and will be forever. So they proclaim this truth about him. And they proclaim it before the throne. They proclaim it in his presence. And we're called to be those who live in the presence of God. And if we would come into the presence of God, then we must learn to sing his praises and learn to sing them well. We must learn to, the, the language of praise and the language of worship if we're to be truly his people. Because he is worthy of all those things. Because of who he is, and because what he has done for us, he is worthy of all the praise and the glory and the blessing and the honor that we could ascribe to his name. Let us this day worship him in all that we do and all that we say.